is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. Another city in the U.S. mourning today because of yet another mass shooting. This time in Colorado Springs, where a man shot up an LGBTQ nightclub, killing five people, hurting about two dozen others. We'll go in-depth into what we know so far about the situation and how Colorado Springs and the LGBTQ community there are coping. And meet the new boss for Disney, same as the old boss. Bob Iger returns. We go in-depth on what that means for the company. Twitter could soon see the return of a familiar person, but will Donald Trump actually come back? And what if boys and girls started school at different ages? We'll talk to the writer of a new book who says uh, boys and men are slipping behind women and girls these days. We start, though, with the uh, shooting tragedy in Colorado Springs. Debbie Kelly is a reporter for the Gazette in Colorado Springs. Debbie, thanks for joining us. Uh, What do we know, uh, if anything, more about the alleged shooter? Uh, Hi there. Thanks for having me. So we know today that he remains hospitalized with injuries. Um, Two patrons late Saturday night, right before midnight, took him down. They wrangled the gun away and um, hurt him enough that he's hospitalized. And uh, do we know anything else, uh, anything else coming out about uh, anything he may have done or said on social media? From what I've been hearing, he hasn't uh, really uh, interacted a lot with social media, but uh, his mother has. Do you know anything about that? Um. <clears throat> Sorry, no, he didn't have a visible presence on social media. He was arrested in Colorado Springs last June. Um, He um, issued a bomb threat, and that caused the evacuation of his neighborhood where he lived with his mother, and um, the case was then sealed. He was never um, charged, and, and the case was dismissed. So today we're trying to get that court paperwork to see if we can find out more about that. And let's talk now about uh, the victims. Uh, What can you tell us about what you know about those who were killed and also those who were injured? Some are critical, are they not? Yes, some are still hospitalized. One gentleman said he was shot seven times. He did a Facebook Live um, post from his hospital bed early this morning. Um, Another woman said she was shot 13 times. Um, The five people who are deceased, we have identified all five of them now. Two were bartenders, so they were employees. Three were patrons. Two were women, and one was a gentleman. Um, They were all 20- and 30-year-olds. What can you tell us about the uh, person who disarmed uh, the shooter? So we have not found the two good Samaritans, so to speak, who who, um, tackled the uh, shooter, but we are waiting to try to track them down so they can share their stories. There's another um, press conference at 3.30 Mountain Time today, so we hope to learn their identities. What uh, do we know about the weapons themselves? How did the suspect get the weapons? Were they uh, his to begin with? Was it a family weapons? Where did they come from? Do we know? Um, We are just starting that story, and it's looking like he bought them 
legally, although I think one, uh, we've had multiple reports, different reports on what kind of guns he used. The police said they found two long guns at the scene, but we're now hearing uh, one was possibly a pistol and the other one uh, seems to be maybe a semi-automatic. Be considering the background that you were just talking about before that the suspect has in the state, uh, by buying, you say it appears as if he bought the weapons legally. Would that be nonetheless somehow skirting Colorado law in terms of people who have had any kind of run in with law enforcement being able to purchase a gun? So this is interesting. Um, apparently, because uh, the, the bomb threat was not considered. Um, a weapon under Colorado law. Under Colorado law, it has to be a firearm. Um, so the bomb threat didn't qualify that would have banned him from buying guns. So wait a minute. So, so if I understand what you're saying correctly, under Colorado law, law, had he made a threat to another individual with a gun, then he would have been legally not able, in theory anyway, to purchase right. the guns uh, that we believe were used in the uh, shooting this weekend, but because the threat was using a bomb right. under right. Colorado law, that was not considered a weapon. That's what we think. That's how we're interpreting Colorado law right now. We're trying to confirm that with authorities uh, to see if that is the way the law stands. But as far as we understand, that's the way it stands. And it was a homemade. <clears throat> it was a homemade bomb that he was threatening. Uh, his mother with. Well, that would be, a, if if that's true, that's a pretty big loophole uh, in yes, the law. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. All right, thank you so much. Uh, Debbie Kelly, a reporter for the Gazette in Colorado Springs. Right now, though, back to uh, Colorado Springs and the shooting tragedy at Club Q. The entire community there mourning, trying to process what happened. With us, we have two guests, Colorado Springs Council Member Nancy Hendrum and Colorado State House Representative Brianna uh, Titone, who is the first openly transgender state legislator elected in Colorado. Both of you, thank you for being with us in very trying times, I'm sure. Um, Nancy, let me start with you uh, and talk a bit about Colorado Springs. Uh, Colorado Springs has, has always been, at least in recent times, uh, a very conservative area, an area that had until recently, maybe even now, never been considered particularly friendly to uh, the community, to the gay community, the transgender community, the lesbian community. Uh, and it has some pockets, obviously, like the club that were sort of thought to be safe havens. What now? Yeah, um, it, it certainly has had that history, but I would say that over the last 30 years, that has been changing year by year to be more and more supportive and loving of our LGBTQ uh, plus community. Um, just as an example, uh, I joined a church in 1992 um, that the amendment to experience uh, in Colorado uh, prompted us to become an open and affirming church, welcoming to all. And that has happened in many, many churches. We have organizations that have been born out of that experience. Um, Citizens Project is one. Uh, that is uplifting the civic rights uh, and and uh, constitutional rights of all members of our society here in Colorado Springs. So I believe we have actually made tremendous 
progress. We have more to do, as do all communities, I believe. Um, but we have had an outpouring of love and support um, from many, many communities over these last 48, now coming up on 72 hours. All right. I want to ask this question to Colorado State House Representative Brianna Titone. Uh, in our last segment, we were speaking to a reporter who uh, kind of uh, seemed to indicate that uh, the alleged shooter had threatened someone with a, with a bomb, but that was not considered a threat with a weapon. So he was legally able to purchase guns. Can you clarify this for us, please? Well, thanks for that question. And, you know, that's the first time I'm hearing about that myself. Uh, I'm not uh, an expert on every little piece of the law. And uh, it's not every day that we have people threatening people with uh, homemade bombs or incendiary devices. So this is uh, something that we're really interested in finding out more about this specific case and what failed and what worked and what didn't work. And, uh, you know, we have a session coming up here in January, and we'll be looking to find out ways we can fix what went wrong here and uh, try to make sure that this never happens again in Colorado. Well, uh, Nancy, back to you uh, and and sort of an extension of, of what was just said now about making sure it never happens again in Colorado or for that matter, I suppose, anywhere, anywhere else. But yet we seem to, as a country, consistently have these things happening everywhere else and repeatedly. Uh, of course, I'm thinking about uh, Florida uh, in the Pulse uh, Club and now this one. Uh, there is a, a growing, uh, it's sort of lumped in along with, I, suspo- I suspect, uh, uh, there's a lot of anti-Semitism that's cropped up around the country, a lot of anti-gay uh, attitudes, uh, anti-LGBTQ attitudes around the country. How much do you think the sort of national mood, if you will, has played into this particular shooting? Boy, I, I'd be looking at a crystal ball. I mean, yeah. I, I really don't know, but it, it's it's hard to escape it. I mean, we have gotten so much more polarized. Um, and I would say that, um, you know, we've seen that in school boards and, and other local boards um, that have gotten very extreme. Um but again, my, my focus is very much both from a legislative perspective, what can we do, but just simply as neighbors and neighbors and how do we uh, continue to support love and kindness and reaching out to one another. Um, so uh, I, I don't, you know, we, we are working on this as a world, certainly as a country. And um, uh, I, don't, I, don't have, I don't have a magic answer to that question, but all I know is that we just have to keep uh, demonstrating love and support for one another. All right, and, we and have some great examples of how we are doing that. Brianna, uh, let me ask you something and pick up uh, where Nancy left off before the break, uh, because she was talking and she's going to talk more, I think, as we go on about some of the things that are being done and have been done in Colorado Springs to change the image that that city has had for many decades as being not particularly friendly to the LGBTQ community. But I'm wondering, as somebody who is a transgender, do you feel, would you feel safe? I don't know where in Colorado you live, but if you live in Colorado Springs, do you feel safe there? Or would you feel safe if you went there? Well, yeah, I actually live uh, just to the northwest of Denver in the city of, of Arvada, uh, which has also been a very conservative place. And people have called uh, my city the Colorado Springs of Jefferson County <laughs> because we we have historically been very conservative. And there's a lot of uh, religious organizations and groups here 
as well. Uh, despite that, I was able to flip this district from being Republican to Democrat in 2018 uh, and then held that seat again in 2020. So, you know, there there is a, a tide of changing ideas in Colorado that have been happening over the last decade. And, uh, you know, Colorado Springs still has the home of some very, very conservative places and groups uh, focus on the family and uh, Colorado Christian University. And, you know, as a legislator, I see uh, people from the Colorado Christian University coming and testifying in front of me many times on a lot of different topics, mostly on abortion rights and access um, and against uh, any kind of LGBT stuff. So we we do see them and there is a big presence and they uh, bring a lot of those folks up to the Capitol in Denver to, to uh, you know, lobby against bills that they don't think is uh, fits in with their way of thinking. But, you know, there is not just one gay club in Colorado Springs. There's there's a few other ones. And, and I've been to a couple of those and they're just vibrant places where uh, people enjoy music and live entertainment and uh, it's just a really great welcoming place. And uh, the presence of the university there uh, really does help uh, take a lot of the the uh, balance of the uh, right and left leaning people. Uh, so there has been some changes going on, but the roots of Colorado Springs being military has really uh, rooted a lot of these conservative ideas in that place. And those are really tough to to shake out. Well, and I'm sure that uh, Nancy has some other things that she would say. Yeah, I want to go back to uh, uh, Nancy Hinchum, the uh, Colorado Springs council member. Uh, we're talking about things that uh, that you are trying to do there, trying to accomplish in combating this hatred uh, that seems to flash up into violence uh, far too often. What are some of the things you are doing there and what are some of the things you'd like to be, see done, not just there, but also around the country? Well, as far as here, I mean, it's everything from individual conversations one-on-one and establishing relationships and getting to know people who are who are different from you. I think that's actually how the most of the change has happened over the decades. But we've we have started a, a, a gay men's chorus out loud that um, proudly sings uh, all kinds of concerts and is well attended. We have a gay pride parade. Uh, we have organizations like Inside Out Youth Services um, that are working, you know, with younger generations. Um, Brianna uh, recognized we actually have three universities and universities tend to be much more open and accepting. Um, and we have a, a state uh, a state college as well. So we we have many, many places in which uh, these conversations are happening. Um, we also will be having um, the, uh, the the section three. 93 of the C2C rainbow flag that's going to be hanging in our city hall here in, in the next week or so, and that will provide a, um, a space and a communication about um, how accepting we are. We also have a, a, an organization called The Place that serves uh, many youth who are, find themselves homeless under the age of 19, and often those kids are out of their homes because of how they've been treated in their families or in some of these very conservative Christian homes. So um, I, think it's, I think it's little by little, step by step, relationship by relationship, conversation by conversation. All right. Thank you so much. Little by little, step by step. Colorado Springs Councilmember Nancy Hingham, Colorado State Representative uh, Brianna Titone, thank you so much for joining us. 
You are listening to KNX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer, along with Charles Feldman. Remakes, they're big in Hollywood. It seems every big movie made before 2000 is being made again. Sometimes it works, often it doesn't. But do remakes work when it comes to the corporate suite? Well, Disney is going to find out soon enough. The board fired CEO Bob Chapek and rehired former longtime CEO Bob Iger, who oversaw a massive expansion of Disney as it uh, bought up Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilm, and 21st Century Fox. With us now is Joe Lanzicero, former senior vice president of Disney Imagineering. He's the current executive vice president and chief art director of Zeitgeist Design and Production. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, right off the bat, what is the first major thing do you think is going to change in the uh, corporate atmosphere with uh, Iger's return? Um, I think the, the big change that he's going to bring about is instilling trust in the guests, in the consumer. Um, in uh, the certainly in the, all the cast members, I think JPEG did um, did his best, um, but I think he lacked that that deep affinity and understanding of the brand that both um, Michael Eisner and Bob Iger um, d- deeply understood. I mean, they they knew that they were the face of the the corporation. And the corporation is more than just a company that makes entertainment to many people. It's almost like a religion. And I think um, Bob understands that. He understood that. Certainly, I saw that firsthand when I was there. And I think job one for him is to get that that trust and that uh, belief in the brand back, um, both in the uh, in the boardroom, in the uh, with the cast members, and, and mostly with the consumers and park guests. But didn't Iger have some say in his successor? And and if so, then why would anyone think that him coming back for another two years and presumably picking yet another successor is going to be any better? You know that that's a good question. A question I asked myself. Um, I think it's it's complicated up at the top at, at Disney. Um, I don't know if Bob was was fully engaged at the time when he made the decision. Um, I'm going to forgive him for it. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, we're we're kind of losing you there I, I a little bit. If you if you could uh, continue uh, about uh, you know Bob uh, choosing uh, Bob uh, in the first place. Yeah. Um, you know, I think he saw things in Bob, uh, Chapek, um, that were correct. You know, he was, he had very, he had very good business insights. Um, I think the one thing that maybe he didn't see was his lack of real, real deep affinity and understanding for the brand. Um, which I think actually just kind of came natural to Bob Iger having been in the company so long and, you know, worked under Michael Eisner, who certainly understood it as well. How is the consumer likely to notice the difference, if at all? Well, that's another good question. Um, I think the consumer right now, especially the theme park consumer, has been kind of pushed to the, the edge of their, their um, what they're willing to you know spend um, as, as Chapek continued to um, raise the prices at the theme parks and add additional costs at the theme parks. Um, you know, I would hope that maybe they see some relief there. Um, you know, it's uh, it, Bob was great and had these natural instincts, Bob Iger, for 
understanding what was the right fit for the brand. Um, I will bet you that he's got bigger plans than just coming in and trying to fix up the current problems. I, I imagine strategically there may be another acquisition out there or expansions in, into other areas. Um, I, again, I having watched Bob firsthand, I know he's a, an extremely big thinker and probably has... has all right. Well, uh, we we're losing him again. He was explaining to us some of the changes we're going to see, and he touched on briefly the possibility that maybe, maybe, perhaps uh, he hopes there's going to be some relief at the uh, ticket prices uh, for going to the parks. Elon Musk has said former President Trump can return to Twitter. Musk reinstating Mr. Trump's account over the weekend, and it has, of course, drawn criticism. For many, 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 many people on the left. But would Mr. Trump come back? Now, he has said he has no interest, at least right now. Uh, the former president has his own social media site that investors are pouring a lot of money into, Truth Social. But would a return to Twitter in the near future make sense for him? Kelly Ann Collins is CEO at Vault Lab, a social media agency. And she's met with the former president before, was even asked for input about social media from his presidential campaign staff in 2016. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, at issue here is the fact that uh, already uh, Mr. Trump has uh, regained many of the followers yet before, millions and millions of them on Twitter, even though he has not tweeted yet, more than he's got following him on his own Truth Social. And while he has said that he doesn't want to leave Truth Social, he's going to stay there, he's not going to tweet, uh, there is a feeling among some that he will not be able to resist the lure of all of his followers, especially as he's mounting another presidential campaign. And then once he tweets, once he goes back on Twitter, isn't that the death knell for Truth Social? Right. He's definitely between a rock and a hard place right now because his own social map does, uh, you know, his, his own app actually does not have as many followers as Twitter. So if he goes back to Twitter, I mean, he could do both, couldn't he? I mean, he could uh, continue to use his own uh, site, the Truth Social, but also amplify whatever it is he wants to amplify on Twitter. I, they're not necessarily mutually exclusive, are they? I mean, he could do both. Um, I mean, that would be one move. But, you know, then the issue is that he's going to a quote unquote competitor, although, you know, his app only has, you know, two million uh, monthly users compared to 330 million. So, I mean, really, it would be in his best interest to go back to Twitter. But then again, that's <laughs> that could end up actually killing his own app. And there's also this uh, company that's uh, trying to figure out the merger to uh, continue the financing for Truth Social. Uh, if he starts tweeting again, that uh, you know, if that doesn't kill Truth Social, it certainly dilutes it. Would those investors uh, have a reason to be uh, miffed at uh, Donald Trump if he does that? I would think so. I mean, I would definitely think if you're trying to fundraise, you would not want to go um, and spend time on a competitor app. But, you know, on the flip side, I think this was a I mean, a lot of people really upset about this, but um, I'm guessing that Elon Musk knew there was a chance that Trump would not come to Twitter, but it was a great way to lure people from Tr Truth Social and to get people who left Twitter when uh, Trump was kicked off to come back. So I'm curious because we mentioned at the uh, top that uh, you were asked at one point for input about uh, the social media during the campaign in 2016. If you got a phone call tonight 
from Mr. Trump or somebody representing Mr. Trump saying, Kellyanne, what should I do? Uh, should I go back to Twitter? Should I stay with social media? Should I, uh, social truth? Should I do both? What would you tell him? Oh um, my, yeah. So back when I had my blog, um, they um, would actually some of his team members would ask me about you know best practices and what should we do. They were really concerned with their YouTube presence back then, and this was actually before uh, he ran in 2016 because he ran for um, he was in the running and then he ended up dropping out before that. Oh my gosh, what would I tell him? <laughs> um, uh, I. I, yeah, I, I don't know that. I'll, I'll, I make, I'll, make, I'll make it easier. We'll roll yeah. play here. So, so I'm Donald Trump, <laughs> and, I, and I call you up, uh, and you're on the phone. I said, Kellyanne, uh, what should I do? Should I go back to Twitter? Should I use my own site? What would you tell me uh, as I'm playing the role of Donald Trump, if that makes it easier for you to do? <laughs> I mean, one thing that I would say is probably what I just said is that, you know, really, if you do want to run for president, you want to be where the people are. Um, you know, Elon Musk is positioning Twitter to be the town hall of the world. So really, there is a bigger audience on Twitter. Will Truth Social ever get as many followers as Twitter? Probably not. Um, <laughs> but then again, I'm sure he has a lot of pressure from his investors as you know, the team is trying to fundraise. So he's really stuck between a rock and a hard place. <laughs> I mean, he really is. Um, it would probably benefit him to go to Twitter. But then again, it's going to benefit his quote unquote competitor. Why do I get the sense, Kellyanne, you don't really want to give him any advice? Am I right? No, no, I, I'm not <laughs> I in the business so. yeah. of <laughs> giving Donald Trump advice. Um, yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah, they used to ask, though, yeah, years ago. We have been following what some have referred to, probably rightly so, a dumpster fire with uh, Twitter and since Elon Musk has uh, taken over and sometimes seems to be flailing. At one point he said, uh, uh, Elon Musk promised that, well, before I make any decisions about reinstating these big accounts, referring to Donald Trump, he was going to form a content moderation policy panel. Well, that uh, did not happen. He did it via a Twitter poll, which is not really a poll because there's, there's no way to, to verify who's voting for what and how many bots there are. So he's got uh, Donald Trump back on Twitter. But all that said, is it kind of a shrewd move for Elon Musk to play this game with Donald Trump because now he's getting a lot of attention by trying to tempt Trump by posting these uh, semi-obscene memes on Twitter uh, and tempting him to come back to Twitter. And that plays well for him. And if Trump does... That kind of helps Elon Musk take out at least one possible competitor into social. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it was, I mean, really strategically, it was a smart move, uh, you know, because in this situation, who benefits whether Trump goes back to Twitter or not? It's Elon, right? Because he drives a lot of traffic. People, you know, engagement goes up when you have, you know, politicians <laughs> fighting with each other on Twitter. So, I mean, really, either way, Elon Musk wins because he wins because of the media exposure. Um, you know, if Trump comes back, he gets more engagement. It's going to be, you know, crazy traffic for him. And Twitter makes money, you know, based on number of users and uh, traffic. So, I mean, no matter what, Elon really wins. Although, you know, a lot of people are leaving Twitter because of this. They're not exactly happy that he reinstated. Um, but I'm sure he you know, realizes that with true social, 
Trump probably won't be able to or he's going to lose his funding. I guess there's the possibility that Trump just says, hey, I want to run for president. I need to go back to where the people are. Yeah, you know, kind of in a way, uh, Elon Musk is also in between a rock and a hard place, not just Donald Trump with the uh, social media. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Kelly and uh, Colin, CEO at Vault Lab, social media agency. Are are you you're on Twitter, aren't you, Charles? Yeah. Are yeah. you staying on Twitter? Oh, or, you mean am I? Yeah, yeah, yeah no. Yeah, I, mean, I, sure. I don't think it's time to leave yet. I mean, we gotta we gotta see uh, how the world ends. Yeah, well, and I, I'm I'm certainly not going to make a decision about being on Twitter based on whatever Donald Trump does, right? One way or the other. Exactly. You know, uh, I don't really care. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, know. you. Well said. You're listening to KNX in depth along with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. All right. Uh, having some fun with the segments today. Uh, we were going to talk about a very important issue here. Women uh, made a lot of strides uh, over the decades when it comes to uh, education, the ability to advance to high positions in the workforce. Uh, men used to dominate university lecture halls and corporate offices, uh, but uh, times have changed with that now. Yeah, uh, in fact, now men might be falling behind when it comes to education and work, both in the white and blue collar sectors. So how much trouble are men in America right now? Uh, we are expecting Richard Reeves, who is a Brookings Institution scholar. He's also he's also the uh, author of a brand new book. It's called Of Boys and Men, which actually tackled this uh, question. Uh, and uh, for whatever reason, we're still trying to get a, a hold of Richard. But, uh, you know, what is the case, Rob, is that, uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago, as we kind of said in the uh, opening, when men far outnumbered women on college campuses, uh, in fact, women, you know, if you go back to the 50s and 60s, were were virtually non-present uh, in college campuses. And that has dramatically changed. And there's no question about that. Uh, and the question that I think uh, uh, Richard Reeves, who is the author uh, of this new book, uh, looks into is why that's come about. Why, why is it that that men are now falling behind when it comes to higher education, and of course, higher education being the the gateway to a lot of different occupations. Not that everybody has to go to to college, but it also means that if more and more men are not going, it's going to preclude them in the future from a lot of occupations that up until now we kind of have associated rightly or wrongly with being men, and it should now be equal, men and women, but instead it may end up being women. Yeah, and it raises a lot of questions, too. Are we seeing men fall behind or are we seeing a kind of a, a correction, a course correction in uh, culture? I mean, it's it's a hard thing to get into. And I, I as I understand it, Mr. Reeves is going to dig into uh, what happens at the earlier education level as well. And we still uh, don't have him with us uh, yet. We are attempting to uh, get another expert to talk to us yeah. about men's issues and how this works into our culture and what, what that means for the future. Well, well, you know, I, I know that um, uh, during the pandemic, for example, or the height of the pandemic, uh, there was a, a there was a disparity between uh, the people who were studying at home compared to those who, who were not. And uh, and there again, and this was not just at the college level. This was even for the uh, elementary school, high school level. Uh, there were far more women who ended up doing at home 
learning through, you know, Zoom courses, that sort of thing, than a lot of the guys were doing. And there again, the question becomes why that's the the case. And uh, you were hinting before, Rob, about sort of cultural differences, things that have changed in, in society to account for this sort of, you know, change. And, uh, you know, I suspect, and, and, and uh, Richard Reeves, I'm sure, knows a lot more about this because of the book. Uh, but there are a lot of different reasons why this could be happening. Uh, and to some degree, it, it has to do also with the kinds of jobs that a lot of men are looking for. Some of the jobs that, that uh, because of the economic turmoil that has been created because of the, uh, uh, the sort of the pandemic, and that was followed, of course, now by a lot of uh, problems with the world economy. Uh, you know, a lot of guys want to, you know, they consider themselves to be the breadwinners of the family. And so because of that, they are foregoing higher education to take basically jobs that they need to take in order to support a family. And so that leaves women often in the position of having the luxury, if you will, of being able to go and get a higher education and and go on and get maybe even postdoctorate you know post uh, uh, graduate degrees that sort of thing, so uh, you know we are living in a very different world and the uh, I know that uh, Richard in his book one of his suggestions is that that men boys have a different start time for their educational process so that at, at, a, at a certain point there's kind of an evening out mm-hmm. uh, when it comes time to decide whether or not somebody wants to go to a, to, to a college or a university, that they would be in an even plane if, if men, teenagers, basically adolescents, if they have a different time schedule in school than women because women do mature at a different level than, than guys do. And generally uh, maturing earlier uh, than uh, men and boys do. And that leads to an interesting question because what uh, a change now is going to affect change in the future. And as you were talking about with uh, women, uh, men foregoing higher education to get back to the workforce to make some money that we lost during the pandemic, women having the luxury, uh, in your words, to pursue higher education down the road, that means better jobs for women in the future and fewer good jobs for men in the future. So where do we go from there? And the idea of starting men at a different time than uh, than women and uh, girls in earlier education is obviously going to be a controversial one because people are going to be looking at that from both sides of the political aisle, from the right and the left. You're going to have people from the left who will complain to like, no, men and women need to be treated equally. We can't have this disparity. We can't force a new disparity to try to fix one that's there. And then, of course, you're going to have the pushback from people on the more conservative side who uh, might, you know, just let's be honest here, look at the idea of like, well, maybe it's good for men to be getting more jobs, but that might not be the case in the future. Yeah, you know, uh, and and uh, you know, and this goes back to the to the whole argument about uh, to what degree one needs an advanced degree. Uh, you know, there are plenty of jobs that that are really important uh, ones that don't require a college education, and and the notion that that you know uh, anybody, whether it's men or women, have to go to to college is kind of silly. Uh, but it does depend to some degree on. Uh, uh, geographic regions. I mean, there are differences. There's no doubt about it. Uh, in say uh, the southern part of the country, then on along the coastal areas, both the east coast and the west coast, um, and because of that, uh, that adds, I think, to this sort of disparity 
in terms of who decides to do what with their educational future. With us now is Dr. Mo Gelbart, who's Director of Behavioral Health at Torrance Memorial Medical Center. Doctor, thanks for being with us. So uh, we were talking, Rob and I, before, as we were uh, waiting for Richard to join us, that uh, it is the case that if you look, for example, at the college campus, there are now more women in most colleges, or many anyway, than men. And that certainly was not the case a few decades ago. Why is that? And do you agree with the premise that uh, Richard's book lays out that men are falling behind women? Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Sort of agree with it, but what I think is, it sort of looks the same. Meaning, I think women are catching up and advancing beyond men. I'm not sure if that means men are falling behind. You know, statistically that may be, but I think it's just as much a matter of the equality among uh, genders and you know women getting out into the workforce and out into the educational force and just just kind of coming into their own over last many years and. I'm not surprised in some ways that they are beginning to overtake men in, in that regards. Yeah, that was kind of one of the things I was wondering is, is, is it really a case of men falling behind or is this kind of just a correction of women uh, catching up and uh, getting parity with men? And that, that looks like from our perspective as uh, men falling behind. Uh, uh, Richard Reeves also was uh, going to touch on something uh, we were going to ask him about uh, that uh, women uh, mature earlier than men. And this might affect earlier education. He's proposing this idea of changing, uh, of, of starting uh, the education of boys at a different time than for girls. What do you make of that? Would that help or would that hurt? And does that take into account the differences in how we mature? I, I don't see any, personally, I do not see any reason for that. I think that there are differences. There are inherent emotional uh, differences in development. There's probably some intellectual differences. But eventually, it all kind of comes out in the wash, so to speak, and it comes out. It evens up, and 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 again, sometimes it's the emotional side of the females may be higher at one point while the boys are out there doing something else, either athletically or or uh, you know academically. But again, it all begins to even out anyway. So I would make any changes. I don't think there's any you know, inherent issue or problem in all that. I think, as we said a moment ago. It's sort of like the old commercial, if you remember. I think it was Virginia Slim or something like, you've come a long way, baby, as women started smoking yeah. more. <laughs> and alcohol, women are starting to, the problems around alcoholism is starting to catch up to men. I think it's a matter of the the equalization of the sexes more than it is anything wrong with either one. Is it the case we were talking a bit before about this notion that women do mature quicker uh, or before guys do? Or is that sort of become part of the mythology? Is that not actually true? Is there any evidence that supports that? I think there is evidence, actually. Again, but they do catch up. Well, actually, they don't. Men, men in general are going to be a little bit less emotional, less in touch with their feelings, less able to communicate effectively uh, for whatever reason, just as a, as a gender. I believe women have just always had a, a uh, advantage in that and been much better at that and probably remain better at that throughout most of their lives. But is that is that a function of gender itself or is that a function of culture? I think it's a function. Good point, and thank you. I think it's a function of culture on on top of gender. 
So I don't think it's inherent um, kind of brain development or inherent biologically, but I think that's what our culture has has taught and has expected of the various sexes. Again, we're generalizing, and it's not 100% either way. But yes, I think it's a, more a matter of culture than it is uh, born gender. I, I also wonder how universal this is. Uh, I mean, is this something that, that we see just in this country? Is this something that is... Uh, uh, applicable elsewhere? Do we see the same disparities that uh, Richard writes about in his book elsewhere? You know, I'm not 100% certain, but I don't, I, I think that there are differences in many parts of the world which would lead more to the notion of cultural issues being the primary. Uh, in, those, in those places where the expectation has been on men to be uh, more self-sufficient, more out there earning a living, more macho, more, more, you know, sort of kind of lead the way, then I think they're experiencing the same pattern that we have here in this country. But there are lots of countries where I think that women have always been, uh, you know, equal to and, 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 and at least no difference really in the genders on this. All right. Thank you so much. Dr. Mo Gelbart, Director of Behavioral Health at uh, Torrance uh, Memorial Medical Center. Uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Well, that was KNX uh, In-Depth. We will do this again tomorrow, perhaps not quite the same way, but perhaps differently.